Listeners, welcome back to the business of wellness. I'm your host, Jacqueline London, and happy 2024. I cannot believe that we made it here, but yes, my friends, we are here. It's January and it is that time of year, as in New Year's resolution time of year. Now, if you're a practitioner listening to this, then you know why I am giantly, massively rolling my eyes as I say that. Um, and if you are someone who just comes for the guests and the entertainment and the chat about nutrition and wellness, then you are definitely in the right listening headspace today. You're listening to the right podcast. My guest today is Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. She is a narcissistic abuse expert and licensed clinical psychologist. She's a media contributor, a relationship coach for both men and women nationwide who are experiencing narcissistic abuse in their current relationships. And for those who have experienced this type of abuse in the past. She's also, again, a licensed clinical psychologist in private practice, and she specializes in the treatment of adults with anxiety, mood disorders, relationship difficulties. But I also mentioned before that Dr. Z is a big figure in media. I actually found Dr. Z on another podcast, and uh, and I know she's relaunching her podcast coming up soon, so you'll have much more to listen to from Dr. Z. But for now, I cannot wait to hear what you think of this incredible interview. We talk all about New Year's resolutions, what they are, what they're not, how to actually set goals that are aligned to your values, a number of different great thought starters and things to think about as you consider what your personal goals and values are in 2024 and doing a little bit of a self-check-in about what's really important to you, what your identity is and what you really value. I love this episode. I honestly think it might be one of my all-time favorites. I think you're going to love it too. Let me know what you think by leaving a five-star rating and a review on a podcast, of course, and be sure to find me on social media at Jacqueline London RD across social platforms at Jacqueline London on TikTok. And I'll see you on the other side. Dr. Z, welcome to the business of wellness. What a treat this is. I'm so excited to chat with you. We have so many topics to cover. It's hard to even... It's hard to even know where to dive in first. So let's just start with you. Tell us about you. Okay. Where, where are um, we finding you right now? <laughs> so I am outside of Philadelphia. Um, I have a private practice in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Um, I see adults with anxiety and depression, but I have a specialty um, coaching practice where I work with people who are in narcissistic abusive relationships of all types, whether it's a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, family member, um, colleague, friends, and work with them on navigating those complex relationships. Wow. Amazing. You also, do you have, you have a book out? Yes. I have two books. I have two workbooks, um, very kind of behavioral mindfulness-based workbooks um, to one, find your calm, to give you strategies, very tangible, practical strategies to use throughout the day to help you with anxiety and stress And then one, um, finding good habits, which is all about setting goals, but more importantly, maintaining goals, Um, because we all can set goals, but our problem is maintaining them. So it works on strategies um, to help you maintain and add additional goals um, to reach, you know, your kind of end result. Okay. This is great because obviously this is, this is our main focus of of today's chat. So we have have many, many goal related 
topics to cover. But one thing I want to make sure that I ask you about first, before we even get into that, just because this podcast is called The Business of Wellness, and it would be silly for us to ignore something I learned about you just today in preparing for this interview, which is that you have a background in advertising as well? I do. Yes. You're the only person that has ever asked me about that. I do. I love that. I love that. I I also feel like a true kindred spirit because I also have a a background in PR and marketing, which I really only did for one year. I can barely get a background. Yes. Same. (laughs) I worked after college. I worked in advertising for two years and then I went back to graduate school, but yes, no one has ever asked me about that. I actually forgot about that. I love that. No, I love that so much because I feel like there really are so many synergies and there's so much. Oh, yes. And there's so many things that I still think about, even though this was many years ago now. And I'm like, why am I still thinking about that? But it comes up a lot. Like, I feel like I find myself talking about a, a number of different communications related things at honestly at strange times. But tell us about your your dabble in advertising and and how it brought you into the psychology field. Yeah, sure. So I, um, when I graduated college, I, I had majored in psychology um, and minored in sociology and Yiddish because <laughs> I need, I know, cool. I know, I made my grandmother. How very cool proud. is that? <laughs> I know. Um, so <laughs> it was like a random, but anyway, um, we all just needed a language. So we were like, okay, we'll yeah. do that. Um, but afterwards, I just honestly wasn't ready to commit to graduate school yet. So I wanted to do something that was kind of psychology-based, but business-related. Um, and so I went into advertising, and I interned for a couple months because I had no experience whatsoever because my major was in psychology. Um, but I, I loved it. And so I did more of the account executive side, writing creative briefs, which are really kind of targeted um, – targeted behavior plans essentially on how to direct creative to what's going to sell a product best. And it really kind of targeted that, that consumer mindset. And then after a couple of years of that, I realized I really was interested in behaviors. And so I went into psychology. So cool. Right. I mean, there's just so many things. There's so many little insights to glean from all of that. And I feel like probably it also comes up for you pretty frequently as well. It's like oh yeah, how certain things are manifesting with different patients and in your, in your everyday work. Okay. All right. So let's get into, let's talk goals because it's, it's Jan, it's January. (laughs) We are recording this pre-January, but it feels like it might as well be January because I'm already seeing it, Dr. Z. I'm seeing too much. I've seen Mm -hmm. much and it's not quite January. (laughs) No. (laughs) So let's talk about how let's, let's start on the micro level, which is how do new year's resolutions come up for you in your practice? How do people talk about them? Do they you are people still using the phrase New Year's resolutions, or is this just me having spent so much time in media? Am I just using that phrase? (laughs) No, everybody still uses it, and I I am not a fan, and I have never been a fan of New Year's resolutions. Um, Quite honestly, I I hear it all the time. I hear people say, "Okay, January first, like New Year, new me," and I hate that because literally nothing changes from December thirty first. To yeah. January 1st, except 24 hours. So, you know, I know like theoretically it sounds amazing, but it's really this kind of idealized version of change. It just doesn't exist. 
And I think what happens or know what happens is people set these very lofty goals. It's the equivalent of, you know, going into a supermarket when you're hungry to go food shopping. We set these lofty goals when we're so ready to make these changes. We're so done with the year before. And we think that just because the number changes that we're magically going to emotionally, cognitively, neurologically, physically, financially be ready to take on these different goals when we really haven't set up any structures to make behavioral change. We can't just want to change. We have to have structures in place to make the changes. Um, And so I never really understood why people wait to set a New Year's resolution just because it's January 1st. It's such an arbitrary date. 100%. Actually, this does bring us kind of full circle about the advertising component of things and the consumer behavior, because I feel like this, and and in my past life at Weight Watchers, we would talk about this all the time, which was like the temporal landmarks of it all. And I just feel like, yeah, I mean, there's something to that. That's not nothing, but (laughs) but if you, anytime you do anything, you have a chance to like, this is your life. You know what I like? You're usually kind of get one. (laughs) You really only have the chance to do things when you think of them or when you realize what your everyday circumstances are, or to your point, which I want to dive into setting up structures for yourself. What, what does that mean exactly? Like, give us, give us some, like for someone who is like, I had this lofty goal of a new year's resolution. And now I'm hearing Dr. Z and I'm like, do I need to rethink this? What, what is a structure that can help somebody actually stick to a goal or a plan? So one of the ones I hear off most often, I'm sure you hear this too, because it's your line of work, is I'm going to eat healthier. Oh. I'm going to live healthier. Okay. So first, <laughs> nobody bothers to operationally define that. Meaning live healthier to me could look very different than live healthier to you. We also start at different baselines. I play tennis every day, right? So my goal of being healthier I can't add in anything else athletic. I will fall over and die. So like my idea of adding in something healthier may be drinking less or like cooking healthier twice a week. So people don't even, before we even start, people don't even identify what that means for them. So that's number one. Number two, let's say you have the goal of, I'm going to, I'm going to be healthier. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you figure out, okay, I'm going to work out more. Great. But you haven't been to the gym in five years. So why on earth would you pick one of the most stressful times of the year, the holidays, yeah, to change a behavior when cognitively you're at your max? Financially, you're probably at your max. Mm-hmm. And like, let's just say that you have kids and you want to go to the gym in the morning, but you have no one to watch them. So these are the structures that I talk about. It's to go to the gym, but do you have the money? Mm-hmm. Do you have the gym picked out? Do the classes align with your schedule? Do you have childcare? Like, do you have somebody to motivate you? Do you have a gym buddy? All of these things have to be in place before you can just make a goal of, I want to be healthier. Such a good example. I can also say, <laughs> I no longer, I no longer am a member of this gym, but I used to go to a gym where the rage that I would feel <laughs> at, in January, right? Like, because yes. you like a gym and a gym is already your thing that like when you suddenly feel like it's January 2nd and all of a sudden the, your entire neighborhood, you hate it, you hate it. And you I, hate it. 
do you have to ruin all this for me? Because I know you're going to be gone by February. Yep. So like now there's always, there's always these like, it. there's these trendy, you know, it happens all the time. There's the trendy classes of the neighborhood, right? There's the trendy totally. gym of the area. And my advice to people, honestly, is I think the worst thing is trends, trends for anything, yeah. trends for, you know, talking about consumer behavior, trends for workouts, trends for style, trends for diets, yeah. trends for anything, because you have to pick what works for you, yeah. right? Like what I do for myself, I actually go out of my way to have it not be trendy because with trends comes peaks and crashes. And you want to make sure that you pick something that's right for you. And you're right. You'll see all these people show up, disrupt your schedule, and then they don't come back. It's January 15th and no one's there. <laughs> By MLK Day, you're like, okay, I no longer have yes. to be getting the treadmill. But for the last yes. weeks, I've been awake all night, wondering, waiting to, to sign up. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. Okay. I love what you said about the structures. I also have heard you talk about this before. So just to kind of reorient our listeners, which is like anything that you do, and I'm going to summarize this and probably butcher it and, and you will fix it for me. But you're doing really is dependent on the context, the circumstances, the life stage that you're in. So I love that you mentioned childcare being part of the example, because I feel like that's such a big one. And so many people with kids don't factor that in when making the idea, this assumption about their future selves, that's going to have this resonant New Year's resolution that is automatically going to just happen for them. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that. Like when, when is a good time to reevaluate on an individual level, what a personal goal and working towards that personal goal might look like? That is such a good question. So it is, it's always time to reevaluate always every day, every morning, every night, whenever. But I think it's important to do, I like to do value assessments like once a year. So you have values, right? I value being healthy. I value being a good mother. I value being a good employee. I value being a good friend. From those values, which rarely change, right? Like if they change, it's usually a major life circumstance, right? Like having children, right? Yeah. If you don't have kids, your value of being a good mom isn't really on the table yet. Maybe it's, you know, I value being healthy so I can try to get pregnant. It's something associated with that, right? Or you're in college and it's not even on your radar or you're a grown adult and you don't want kids. So it's not even on your radar. Um, But your values usually don't shift. So I have people kind of do a value assessment and then constantly re like kind of reevaluate their goals. And the most important thing is making sure your goals align with your values. If your goals do not align with your values, you're going to go in the opposite direction and you will make zero progress. If your goal, let's say is, um, I'm going to make an effort to be more social and go out with my friends because I value being an integral part of the community. That's great. But let's say that your value is to you know, value your private time more, but yet your goal is to see your friends four days a week, they're not aligned. And so you're going to feel divided. Um, So I think goal assessment is something that you want to do whenever you can. Mm. Um, But value assessment, I think is a little bit bigger and maybe, you know, address that as you have life changes. 
That's such a good point. I also, I cannot tell you how I see this all the time in nutrition counseling, because this one is such a big one, which is like, I will see people who will say I cut out all meat, but when like on further questioning, it's like, actually, yes, I, of course I care about animal welfare, but like, is one of my top values about not consuming animal products. So it's, right. Like, it's just like you were doing that because you heard somewhere that this was like a good idea. It's a trend. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Perfectly well said. Like the trend yep. becomes like forefront rather than the value. Exactly. What I wonder about is like, how do you parse this out with people on an individual level, which is like, because I can totally see, and I've definitely seen this before in practice where someone is getting confused that like, they think that they've actually talk themselves into the idea that the trend is the thing, is their value. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like how do you kind of navigate through that a little bit? So the first question I ask them is why? (laughs) And if the why goes to, I don't know. Or if the why goes to, because my friend told me, or the why goes to, because I saw it on TikTok, I have them kind of dive deeper into it. And then what I'll do is say, okay, let's run with this, right? Let's see if within you know, depending on the person, four to six weeks, if it becomes a pattern, if it becomes a habit, if it's something that you're continuously struggling to make a habit or a pattern, then it's either your structures aren't in place properly, or it's just not working for you because it's not something that you value, period. Right. right. I love that. I love that it was just as simple as why. I mean, that really- <laughs> it's so, it sounds simple, but, but I mean, in reality, it's, it's kind of like you said, you have one life. I mean, what, Sometimes we get stuck in these patterns and these kind of wasteful fads or trends because if we're not wasting our time in them, we actually have to make a change (laughs) and change is super uncomfortable for people. And so sometimes people, not on purpose, but it feels almost more familiar, more comfortable to just keep hoping and waiting and waiting and to actually step outside of it and make a change. So well said. I I also have been thinking about this a lot lately, especially because I see so many things online in particular, and we can, we're going to get into some of this a little bit later, but I I see a lot of like these really restrictive practices on different, at different spectrums of, of eating, right? Like of cutting out all animal products or eating only animal products or, um, saying that you're not going to eat carbs ever again, or people only relying on veggies and fruit, like some of these like extremely, like very practices really made me think recently that like, when I see that online in particular, I've always thought that this was so hard, right? Like my thought was like my experience in as a teen or as a college student or like in working, working with clients now as an adult, like just seeing people who are like, just kind of fed up with the restriction. It is, though, still easier, I think, to just ascribe to one mindset and restrict. Because rather than like actually sort through information, like info gather, then define your personal values, look at, decide on what your personal goals are going to be, put those structures into place, and then create some habits that actually work for your lifestyle, it's way harder. Oh, yeah. It never really like it. I feel like it took this long in life to actually realize that it's much harder to do the thing that is the longer term, sustainable, meaningful. We want immediate gratification. Exactly. You know, I mean, and I get that, especially when you're dealing with healthy eating, you know, you want to feel better yesterday, right? right? And 
healthy right. eating is, you know, not just eating salads and lean protein for a right. week. I mean, it's, it's healthy eating is a lifestyle change. Sleep goes with that. It's not just, I mean, you know that, I mean, yeah. it's not just what you eat, right? It's, it's your friendships. It's your, it's your cortisol levels going through the roof. It's so much. I mean, you could eat as healthy as you want, but if your cortisol levels are through the roof with stress and anxiety, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, you know, so I, I, the restricting, I, so <clears throat> here's my thing with, and when we say restricting, obviously we don't mean like restricting calories, like right. a very specific right. diet. Exactly. But I, I think that works for certain personality types. Mm-hmm. I think people that require very strict guidelines with very little wiggle room and for whatever reason feel way more safe with very rigid structure. There are some people that operate like that. They're very dichotomous in their thinking. They're very all or nothing. And that works for them. And that's great. The problem with that though, is that at some point they're going to get the flu. At some point they're going to get COVID. At some point, like their kids are going to get sick and they're not going to be able to be as strict. And that's where the grace period comes in. I think you have to give yourself some leeway, some like deviation to allow for that so that you don't set yourself up for failure because people that are very restrictive in the way that they operate also have a very strict failure policy. It's either you succeed or you fail. And when people fail with these things, it takes them a really long time to recover. So Mm -hmm. I think that it's okay if you want to be that restrictive, but you have to give yourself some wiggle room because life happens. Right. I mean, it's, it's like, I always use this example that I is really my personal dream and I'll just project that onto other clients, <laughs> people, which is like, what if you were keto and someone gave you the opportunity to go to Italy to make pasta for like, for the rest of your life? Like you wouldn't want to, but arguably you might not want to turn that down, but you certainly right. wouldn't want to turn that down because you think that there's only one way to eat right? Like that that sort of idea is like limiting, right? So yes, my personal goal is to live in Italy eventually and make pasta. You can take me with you. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm taking Dr. Z with me. Yes. So you know what I mean? Like it's, it's those types of things that like wherever it would feel limiting for you, that's when you know, it's probably not the right approach for life, maybe for temporary period, but it can't, exactly. the lack of flexibility can't carry you that far. And that's why these trendy things are restrictive in nature because they are only, they don't have longevity to them. They're, they're made for these short-term things, but also the way our brains work. When we feel, when our brains feel trapped or yeah. stuck or limited, our bodies respond very differently than when we have options. When we have options, our anxiety, not too many options, but when we have options, our bodies respond with less anxiety and our brains process it very differently than when we are very limited. We we tend to get, we still feel stuck or we feel trapped and we start to look for shortcuts. And so it's like, it's kind of, I give the example of a buffet. I do this with behaviors, right? Like some people may think that the only way to respond to somebody who's being rude to them is this way because that's all they know. But there's a buffet of behaviors that they can choose from. I'd rather them know that there's waffles and eggs and whatever and still routinely go for the eggs because just having the option has a different feel to it and has a different response style versus somebody who's just given one way of responding. 
I love that. That's such a good point. I love a buffet <laughs> metaphor also because there are many. It's so true. Right? It's so com- it is such a comforting thought. Like I am always going omelet station. I'll tell you that right now. Always. Like, literally, because always I get somebody making an omelet for me at home. Yes. So it always feels exciting, right? But yes. like but the idea that there are other things, like if you told me we only have an omelet station, I'd be like, that's sort you of You wouldn't want it as much. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. I would be like, what's up with that? What's right. going on? It's just right. a random. And then you'd want pancakes when you never it, have pancakes. 100%. 100%. Right? Just to show that you can. <laughs> exactly it. Right. So we talked about, we talked about the food specific, food and eating behaviors specific resolutions, but let's, let's broaden this for a sec, because I think our listeners would appreciate just hearing a little bit more from you about what you hear the most when it comes to resolutions. Is there something that you hear beyond the, like, I want to get healthier this year. Is there another type of resolution that comes up most frequently for you? And what is it? I want to be happier. Oh, oh yeah. That's hard. (laughs) Okay. Tell us why. I want to be happier. Yes. So when people say I want to be happier, that's my new, this year, I'm going to be less anxious. I'm going to be happier. I'm going to worry less. And I say, cool, great, me too, right? Like, cause yeah. you, my rule of thumb is you never should have a mood as a goal or a resolution because moods okay. are fluid. I could wake up in a great mood and like step on my kid's Lego and be like a raging lunatic all through breakfast, right? I could, I could be in a horrible mood, but then find out that like, I don't know, um, I just won the lottery and now yeah. I'm in a bit. So Moods we don't have as much control over, <clears throat> and it's very difficult to have a fluid mood as a goal. It's this moving target. You're never going to achieve it. And even if you do achieve it, what does that look like? How do you know you've achieved it? How long do you have to achieve it for before you feel successful in that goal? Because I'm not happy all the time. Right. In fact, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm probably more annoyed and exhausted than Same. I am, quote, happy majority of the time. <laughs> right? It doesn't mean yeah. I'm miserable and depressed. I'm just, life's hard. Every day is yeah. difficult to some extent. And so when people say, you know, I want to be happy, my next question to them is, okay, if I had a video camera on you, this is how old I am, video camera. If I had my iPhone and I'm videoing you. <laughs> I get it. I mean, if we, wow. we're on a video camera wow. right now, okay, Dr. Z, I feel like this counts. Okay. This is a video wow. camera. This is a camera. Video camera. Wow. <laughs> if you had a camcorder on you. <laughs> If I could see you, what would you be doing more of or less of Yeah, that would indicate that you were happier? And then a lot of people say, I'd be smiling more. They're like, okay, well, how many times are you, you know, walking on the street and you see someone smile, but deep down they're horribly depressed. So smile doesn't count. What actions and behaviors can I see that you'd be doing? Well, I'd be reading more. Great. I can see that. Did you read more? Yes or no. If it doesn't have a yes or no check mark, it's not a behavioral goal. Um, I would put my laundry away once a week. Did I do that? Yes or no. I would go out with friends twice a week. Did I do that? Yes or no. I would cook healthy twice a week. Yes or no. So I take happy and I define it for them. I help them define it because they don't even know what that means. That right. takes a really long time to figure that out because that's also changing. Maybe you mastered eating healthy two days a week. And now that's not really making you happy because you've habituated to it. You need something else. So that's why I'm saying constant reevaluation of your goals is important. Um, But if I can't see it, it's not a behavior. If you can't answer yes or no, it's not a behavior. And once you have that established, the more of yeses you have, 
then no, chances are you felt overall more joy, more happiness throughout your day mm. than you would otherwise. What makes this hard <clears throat> to me just hearing it? I mean, even just with those are such perfect examples because they're so relatable. Right. But, but, but at the same time, I think like, couldn't, can't you just as easily say you're going out with friends twice a week and you find that when you go out with your friends twice a week, you're like, these guys are kind of a drag or you're like, I want to read yes. more. And then you're like, actually, I don't know what type of genre of book yes. I enjoy reading like, yes because this sci-fi isn't working for me or whatever whatever else it is so like there could yes. be a lot of dissatisfaction along yes the way. which is why it's so important to constantly reevaluate your goals that's exactly why and also when it comes to setting goals and resolutions you bring up something that I say all the time let's say your goal is to read more right but yeah. you're reading more but you're kind of like yeah this isn't really doing it for me I always say, don't make a new goal. Modify an already existing healthy behavior. Reading is an existing healthy behavior. Modify it. Try a different genre. It's actually an example I always give. Say you want to cook more. Okay, but adding another night isn't really doing it for you. Okay, well, you always wanted to try a different type of cuisine. Try to cook that. So you modify an existing behavior because muscle memory, it's already there. You don't want to take on some other lofty, huge goal with some big learning curve. And it, come, it comes back to your amazing example in the beginning of the childcare. That's what I keep thinking about. It's like, how are you going to do this if you don't have the structural yeah. design there? Yeah. If you don't have that structural component ready for you. Yep. Like there's no- Even healthy eating. Right. Healthy cooking and healthy eating is expensive. You yeah. could have You could have all the goals in the world to cook healthy, but like no. you may not have the resources to do that. I also think like the resource that especially, and I wonder actually if just to take us on a tiny tangent, I wonder if you have thoughts on this too, which is like beyond the, the economic, the financial resources, mm -hmm. the, thing, the resource that so many of my clients are always missing is time. That's yes. one thing, right? Like it's, it's that you want <clears throat> to be someone that, that has, you know, hours on end to make yes. the Coca van. <clears throat> I, maybe that's not what someone's going <laughs> right. Right, right. Talk about like an old school reference. It's like a Julia Child reference. But like, <laughs> I feel like, like, you know, there's just, you need some time to have, to even just set up a plan. Even if it's just the grocery shopping, yes. you're doing it on your phone. You, <clears> still <throat> that, you still need 15 minutes just to set aside Correct. what your grocery list is going to look like. And some people really don't have that 15 minutes right now. So there's got to be a different way of That's getting right. that end goal. But I find too, that if you don't, have the 15 minutes. Yeah. And I truly believe this. Then I don't know if that goal is either one as important to you as you think. Yeah. Great point. As relevant to you as you think. Right. Or you're avoiding it because it's too uncomfortable. Mm. One of those three things. Okay. Say more about the last one. Let's let's hear more about that one. So we routinely busy ourselves with shit that is not important because we don't want to do the other stuff that makes us uncomfortable, right? Yeah. So we worry because as long as we're up in our heads worrying, where are we not? We're not present focused with our feelings. That's why people engage in worry all the time. It gives us an illusion of control. It takes us out of the present moment when in reality, we've literally sat on our couch for 30 minutes and did absolutely nothing, but we right. think we did stuff, right? right? So, you know, when we routinely... Um, you know, it, let's say we want to be healthy, but we continuously self-sabotage. It's because like 
at least if we're going to fail, we fail on our own terms rather than trying and failing because it's too difficult or we can't do it or we can't achieve it. And then we feel horrible. So it's kind of like, all right, well, if I'm going to screw it up, at least I'm going to screw it up on, on my own terms. And so that's avoidance. It's this not avoidance of the behavior. It's avoidance of the discomfort you think you're going to have when you're doing the behavior. It's like when we don't want to go to the gym and we make every excuse up in the world not to go, we're not avoiding going to the gym. We're avoiding not wanting to feel that rage we have (laughs) when we go to the gym. Because once we're at the gym, we're fine. Yeah. So it's not the gym we're avoiding. It's the discomfort you think you're going to have. It's that anticipatory anxiety or anger or, or, or fear or fear of failure, whatever it is. I mean, that's why people try to be so perfectionistic because as long as they're so focused on the details and they end up procrastinating because they're so perfect with it, they never actually finish. They can't actually fail, but they're really failing anyway because they never get done. Because at least the failure is on their terms. Right. You know, it's interesting, as you say that, Mm -hmm. I was also thinking about how, like, I'll definitely hear another another example, which is, which is back to your point about values, right? Or, or if a goal is like actually the right goal for someone at a specific moment in time, which is like, I can get to the gym one day, but how do I know I'm going to want to get there again? Right? Like, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It's that. I mean, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you sort of navigate that work? Or so no one likes my answer for this. <laughs> I, lo- I already love it. Okay. Tell- <laughs> so I tell people to set insultingly small goals. Yeah. Goals that when I tell you what I think I su- like, if I suggest something, they're like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm dead serious. And it could be something as ridiculous as I want you to just drive to the gym and go yes. home. Yeah. yeah. Ridiculously, insultingly small. And the reason for that is because it's not about achieving the goal. It's about developing a sense of mastery that you actually accomplished something. And then you build on that slowly. But the feeling of not wanting to do something, if you feel, if you wait to feel like doing something, you're never going to do it. So people hate my answer for this, but this is why I tell people to start small. You need to do it and at the same exact time feel like crap. Because the only way that crappy feeling is going to dissipate is by actually giving yourself the opportunity to do the behavior so that you get the result and the outcome so that you feel better. It's the only way, which is why talk therapy I know I'm going to get yelled at for this, which is why talk therapy doesn't work, which is why just talking about your emotions doesn't work. If there is no actual behavioral change, regardless of the emotion, yeah, the emotion never changes. You have to change the behavior first. Okay. Give us another, just give us another one because I feel like yeah. listeners are going to need maybe more than one. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like just to, just to make that resonate, like another example of wh- what it, what it actually looks like in real life to practice the behavior, even though it just sucks, even if it feels yeah. like it sucks. So let's say um, that, I'm sorry if you hear my kids screaming right now, um, just <laughs> yelling at each other. Um, let's say that you got into a really bad car accident and you have a fear of driving. Okay. Yeah. And so you've been depending on Uber, you've been depending on other people to drive you. And it's really starting to restrict your world. Okay. So in your effort to avoid feeling anxious, you actually are restricting your world. Okay. And that's what happens in your effort to avoid discomfort. We restrict our world. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So we think it's helping us, but it's actually doing the opposite. So let's say, for example, that you need to, let's say that your significant other falls and breaks their arm. Mm. They need to go to the hospital. You can't drive. They can't drive. You're like, oh my God, I can't drive, right? So what are you going to do in that situation? So you have two options, right? You can either not drive, call somebody else to pick you up, or you can get in the car and drive there yourself. If you, for example, and I know this is an extreme example, if you call an Uber or you wait for somebody to get you, or you call an ambulance, you are avoiding that discomfort, that fear of driving by avoiding it, by not doing the behavior that you're fearful of. However, if you sit with that discomfort and at the same exact time, do the behavior you need to do anyway, and you get to the hospital, then what happens to that feeling? Well, now, well, crap, you just got to the hospital. Nothing bad happened. That fear is definitely not going to go up. It's going to go down. But if you had handled it the other way, what happens? Right. You never give yourself the opportunity to get used to that discomfort. You don't get rid of discomfort by avoiding it. You get rid of it by feeling it and letting it dissipate. Oh, such a good one. That's such a perfect example. I, I also think like we, it's just a component of things that we just don't talk about enough, which mm-hmm. is that it's okay to be uncomfortable. I mean, I, I, and I say that just as much to myself as I say that to anyone listening to this, right? Like, it's like, it's okay to be uncomfortable and still do the thing. Like, it's necessary. Right. Right. It's necessary unless we want to live in a, in a box, but then we'll be even yeah. more anxious. Yes. And, and so limited, right? I mean, there's only so much you can actually get done in a day in a box, right? right. Like it's, Correct. You certainly aren't moving to Italy to be your pasta maker. That's right. And listen, there's, there's modifications. Like let's say you don't like crowds, right? Yeah. But you have to go to the market. Right. If you don't go to the market, then like you have no food. So you have to go. So maybe you don't go at like peak hours. You go, this is why people sometimes go at one in the morning. Nobody's there. Right. And there's a reason why, you know, so it's not an all or nothing thing. You can really kind of find variation on this. I love that. All right. So let's, let's go back to your, your advice for someone, let's say who comes who comes in and and starts with some of these, let's call them like more limiting beliefs, right? But that that really comes in with this mindset of I'm starting this New Year's resolution. Like, like first of all, I think I, I should just level set by asking you this one question that occurred to me as I was preparing for this. That I'm like, I actually wonder if this is true. Do you, do people start signing up for new therapy sessions with you? Like, is January a big month? for you? Like, are people like, you know what? I'm going to therapy in the new year. Like it's not really. actually, you know, you know, when I get really busy, I get really busy in the spring. Yes. Because this, the spring is when the highest rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide are Be- because people think it's, it's people think it's the opposite. They think it's winter because it's dark and it's cold, but that's not the case. Um, spring for a bunch, there's a bunch of reasons why, but spring, it's like this, like belief that it's a new beginning and everybody's out and about and it's getting nicer and you should feel better, but yet you don't. Yes. 
I think I think that's such a good point. And that's why I wanted to ask you this is because I was realizing that like, actually my busiest time is certainly not January. I mean, not right. from a client standpoint, like maybe, yeah. maybe for other things, but it's definitely not January because people first have to do the thing like the 30, the whole 30. <laughs> right. And realize that actually this is kind of bullshit. Correct. And like, they don't really want That's it. That's interesting. They have to it. wait till you know their diet. I mean? fit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, first we've got to try some of this like nonsense and then we get to yep. where actually we seek real help. It's interesting. I actually tell people don't make any substantial behavior changes from Halloween until February 1st. I think that is such great <laughs> advice. I, I yes. tell people, don't, I have physicians yell at me all the time for this. I, quit drinking. Don't quit smoking. Don't quit drugs. Don't quit unhealthy eating. Don't quit anything. Don't start anything new. Just stay status quo unless you're like in danger of harming yourself. But from Halloween until February 1st, don't change anything. Right. Why? What? Because, because you feel like these are times, like these are truly trendy times of year. They're trendy times. I think that as much as everybody motivates each other, everybody also kind of crashes together. It's like, it's like, I failed. Oh yeah. So did I, or like, Oh, I didn't go to the gym. You know what? Screw it. Me too. Whereas if you wait until like a little bit later on, it's like, there's something to be said for this staggering, even though there's maybe not as many to hold themselves accountable. The people that are doing it maybe are fewer and therefore it's like more, more serious rather than like you said, how there's like this drop off rate. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's more yours. Like you could feel you're actually making it something that's really exactly like something that you truly believe in. Exactly. It also speaks to your point about values. Like it's really exactly it's much more aligned that way. What about, I hate to use this term, but I have to ask you this. What about the term smart goals? Like wh- how do you feel about the idea of a smart goal? I'm honestly blanking on what a few of those letters stand for. Small, <clears throat> manageable, manageable, measurable, measurable. Measurable. Yes. <laughs> so that's kind of, I mean, I, it's kind of what I, I do, yeah. right? By saying like, you have to define them. They have to be small. They have to be measurable, which is just me really saying like, did you do it? Yes or no. Yes. And instead of saying, I want to read more, I want to read twice a week for 20 minutes on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Like you have to be Love very that. specific. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I agree with them. Um, but I still am of the belief that you have to do what works for you. But sometimes what you think what works for you doesn't really work for you. You just think yeah. it works for you because it's just always been your habit. Right. Um, but, you know, right. call them whatever you call them, whatever you want. Yes. I think there's something to be said for goals that let me put it this way. I have rarely seen goals of I want to be healthier. I want to be happier um, work. Yes. I love what you said about how an emotion cannot be a goal. I really like that really, really speaks to me. I feel like yeah. I speak to so many people. I just think so, a lot of people get confused about what that, because technically, and, and this is where the whole concept of smart goals really fails, mm-hmm. right? Is that technically happier when you say it that way and healthier, even when you say it in such terms, those can, you can put some measurable outcomes next to or up against those things, right? Happier, like you said, like you, you, you going through that process of walking through what it would actually look like for someone yeah. individually to be happier, that that's a doable thing. It's Correct. just whether or not those things are truly aligned with things that would exactly. genuinely make you happy, right? Or like I have friends who, I have friends who, you know, my best friend, for example, her ideal morning 
And yeah. I and, and we like joke about her ideal morning is running on the treadmill for an hour with her coffee. To me, that is my absolute hell. Like you couldn't pay me to run on a treadmill for you couldn't pay me to run. Right. Right. For fun. Like if I'm running, somebody's chasing me literally, but yeah. I will play tennis every day in the morning. Yeah. I will make time to play tennis every day in the morning for an hour. To me, yeah. that is like my Zen. That is my happy place. So, but to her, that's her, that's like torturous for her. So you really have to know your, I not to sound cliche. Cause I'm, I, I, I hate sounding all like, I'm not a oh. big, like self-love therapist at all, but you really have to know yourself yeah. and what you like. And that's why it's so important to really like be very clear in your sense of self and self-identity because everything truly stems from that. If you are a people pleaser, I'm telling you now, your values are not your own. Your goals will not be in yeah. line with them. You will not feel like you're achieving goals. Like it, it, it's so much deeper than just like set goals. You have to make sure you're setting them in line with your identity. Identity. That's such an important one. And oh my God, you just reminded me of something that I thought about right before we logged in, because I have to ask you this one as well, which is that I, I listened to an interview that you gave, uh, this was a while ago <laughs> when I was listening to, I was listening to this and you said something that really like hit home for me in such a big way, because I see this all the time with, especially with younger, I hate to say that, but like, it, it is, especially with like, um, like 20 something clients. Okay. Yeah. Which is, um, people <clears throat> who have kind of lost touch with the food that they enjoy eating, right? Like mm-hmm. the, it, it's become such a thing that like to the people pleasing extent, but maybe it's more than people pleasing, right? Like maybe it's a, a particularly toxic relationship where like someone else has been making the food decisions for you. Yes. Like, you, like that when I talk to some of these people and I'm getting an initial, like in an initial session, I just want to know like, what foods do you like to eat? Like, let's start with what you actually like, right? You start yeah. with that question and a lot of people can't answer it. Correct. And that's really, that's a huge concern for Correct. me. I think like this might be beyond my scope, right? Yes. Like, because something else might be happening here. You don't know what you don't, you can't remember what it was to like a meal. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. The dumplings I, that your boyfriend likes for the last five. You nailed it. You, you not to up, you nailed it because one of the things that is so upsetting to me when I work with survivors of narcissistic abuse. Yeah. One of the things that they routinely say to me after they have gotten out of the relationship is it's like, it it gets me so upset. Yeah. I don't even know what foods I like. Yeah. That is one of the, and the reason why that is such a big one. And I think it just always hits me so hard. It's that one. And it's, I don't even know what, like, taste in music I have. I don't know what, what, how I like to dress. I think the food one is so, such a gut punch because food is such a source of independence that when it's taken from you, you know, it's like taking the keys away to your car, right? It's like, and that's why eating disorders exist, such a control mechanism, right? And so when somebody is abusive to you or narcissistically abusive to you, a main component of that is stripping you of your identity. And one of the biggest things is what you eat, literally what goes in, what goes out. I mean, truly. So like they will tell you what you like to eat, how you like to cook, whether they cook, you cook. You don't even know if you're cooking foods that you like. It never even occurred to you. And it doesn't even have to be an abusive relationship. It could just be your upbringing. Let's say you grow up in like a really like 
I don't know, like very food consumed house or like everybody's like, like I grew up in a very like, like where nobody cooked, like you were all just like scram, like, you know, threw something in the microwave, like major dinners were not a focal point at all of my upbringing. And so as a parent, yeah, I will, I, I honest God, and it's embarrassing to say, will forget yeah. it's dinner time. Yeah, I have three children. <laughs> I will forget it's dinner time. And right. if it was not for my husband, sometimes I swear to God, the kid, I would forget, I would forget it's dinner time. Yeah. I and I don't cook. It's not not because I don't want to. Or I don't know. How. It's so hard for me, literally, to implement it into my day to day. Which for some people sounds so just batshit crazy, right? Oh, but it's, it's never so been a part of my day to day. Yeah. And for people where like food was such a huge part of their day. Maybe they ate like tons of heavy meats and sauces and cheese. And that was what they knew and they grow up and now they're doing that same pattern, but it's super unhealthy. They don't know any different. Right. right. So then there's guilt and there's shame because there's so much of that associated with food and cooking. And like, I always feel like crap. I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot to feed my kids. I'm a horrible mom. Right. Or somebody who's like, Oh my God, I just fed, fed my kids like pounds and pounds of like pasta. Like, it's just pattern. So it doesn't even have to be a narcissistic abusive relationship to take a step back and say like, I don't even know my eating behaviors. That's such a good point. I, I think that's such a good point too. The, the mentioning that it doesn't have to be narcissistic abuse, that it could also very much be that it can, it can With good intentions, patterns, right. Or just yeah. exactly how you were raised. I mean, I, I totally relate to that. And I, I do, I feel like, I feel like if I, if it, I would be in the same position if I didn't discover that like way too late that I had a food allergy and that it led me to cooking, which led me to want to get my, exactly. you know what I mean? Like that there's yes. so different other things that happened as a, as a result, yes. not really paying attention to food and in, in like Correct. that, that a lot of other people do, but I, so like someone, okay. So let's just say someone comes in to see you and this is, this is a result of narcissistic abuse, or it is the result of like chronic people pleasing where they just don't know what types of foods they like anymore. Where, where do you start? I mean, I would just have them, you know, it's interesting. I would use, I do two things, not necessarily with food behaviors, but I would apply it to food behaviors. I would have them make a list of things they've always wanted to try, but never did yes. regardless of the reason yeah. yeah, things that they've never tried, but they don't know why they've never tried it and yeah. things that they think they love and things that they think they hate. Yeah. And just kind of see if it still holds up. Like I have some really weird food things. Like I'm very weird with food. I've always been weird with food. Like I, I, I mean, maybe like I, cream cheese absolutely. Very polarizing. Gives me out. Cottage cheese, yogurt, cream cheese. Any, A lot of people like, don't like it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like I just, I, 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 I like get nauseous thinking about it. However, <laughs> If you put a piece of cheesecake in front of me, delish, no yeah. problem. Vanilla ice cream, no problem. But if you tell me, even though I know that there's, if I see somebody making it and they dump a whole thing of cream cheese in, I won't eat it. Can't watch. You just it can't. makes no sense. So I think like people's food perceptions and ideas oftentimes are very illogical, um, and they don't even realize or know what they like or what they don't like and and why. I love this list. I love all three, all three of those lists. Like 
say say them again. Say them again, just so that we remember. So that. things that you oh. think you don't like. Yeah. Things that you think you loved. Things that you okay. never tried, but like don't know why. And things that you want to try. And just see where they fall because also your palate changes, right? As you get yeah. older. Yeah. Um, there's definitely things I eat now that I didn't eat when I was younger. I'm still like very basic palate. I wish I could expand on it. I just, I'm telling you, I just like have this, I'm, I eat like a three-year-old. Um, but, <laughs> but I think that, you know, I say this, I'm like, yeah, make a list, put everything out. I, you couldn't pay me to try like lobster. Like I, I, so uh-huh. it's like some people just really won't are stubborn with it and they'll eat a million things that's boring and that's just works for them. Um, but it's, it's definitely worth a try. You have to, you have to try it, right? You always say you have to try yeah. it. If you don't like it, fine. You have to make the list, see where it falls. Right. And there's a million reasons why, like you could not want to eat something or think you don't like something because you were told not to eat it. Yes. I and remember growing up thinking like carbs, right? Yeah. Like I remember growing up thinking like I was told that like things with zero sugar are okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry, things with that are fat free are good for you. Yeah. Yes. That's not the case because it has right. more sugar, right? Like right. these are like stories we were told about food, and everybody has food narratives. And it's just important to like any behavioral narrative. It's it you have to you have to like jar it every now and then. Yes. On this, because I have to let you go soon. Can you tell us, as we started with the topic of trends and I feel like we have to come back to it because it it particularly applies to us in, in our lines of work, but also in, in the world that is media of all types, social media, digital media, <laughs> media of, of literally any and every form. Are there a few, let's say one to three, therapy trends, psychotherapy, like, I don't even want, I want to call it like pop psych. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. pop psych trends that you're like, I have seen these, they were here for 2023, or maybe they were here for the last three years, let's say so, the, so far in this decade that you're like, goodbye and good luck and never come and talk to me again in 2024. What are those? So this is my opinion only. Yes, please, please be as honest. This is a this is a if you use friendly. any of these strategies and they yes. work for you, great. I don't mean to take anything away from you. This is purely just my professional opinion for whatever it's worth. I said it already. Talk therapy. Yes. I cannot tell you how many people come to me and say, and it's not because I'm so good. It has nothing to do with that. If you do not change behaviors, you are going to find yourself stuck in therapy for years, talking in circles about how your week was. Mm. Stuck in the same crap you've always been stuck in. If you do not find that your therapist is changing behaviors and patterns, find a new therapist. You can talk to your best friend. Venting is great. That is not what psychological treatment is. Period. End of story. That's number one. (laughs) Number two, anything that has the word vibrations in it and matching vibrations, please go vibrate elsewhere. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I, I, I just, I just, we really needed that. Yes. Yes. Why like, are you I vibrating even, so I don't, much? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Like, that honestly, mean? I don't know. 
I have definitely seen it too. I, it's worried. Like, what does it like mean? energy? Listen, I know that there's like energy. I'm not knocking that, but yeah. I'm saying if you think that that's going to cure your anxiety and depression, it won't. There is a place for it, one thousand percent. Not as a treatment for depression and anxiety and every other psychological disorder. Okay. It's just not. In it, in in addition to other empirically supported evidence based treatments, absolutely, absolutely but not by itself. Um, And then the third one, I would probably have to say, let me think, there's so many. Um, I don't know, I have to think about that one. Well, let me ask you one about one that you made me think of when you said matching vibrations, (laughs) (laughs) which is manifesting. Oh, that's a great one. Okay, thank you. Okay. That's a great one. Right. Okay. I thought you might. Okay. So I think, oh, I remember the other one. Gratitude. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. I'm so glad you said that. Let's do four. Let's do four. So let's do four. So (laughs) manifestation. I think manifestation is amazing. If you want to make a manifestation board, excellent. But only for the sole purpose is that it takes your goals and it puts them outside of your head, makes them objective, gives you something visually to look for in a continuous daily reminder of what your goals are. I do believe that if you are constantly thinking in terms of goals and values, your behaviors will naturally follow that course because they're getting reinforced and behaviors that get reinforced are the ones you're likely to repeat. I do not, and I caution you very much on thinking it's this magical thought process, fairy dust you sprinkle around you, you're manifesting these things are going to happen and without doing a goddamn thing differently that these things are going to fall into your lap. Yeah. Yeah period. <laughs> I love this. I love this. And then gratitude. Okay. Yeah. Gratitude. So, I think it's like the moderation of the therapy world. It's like the, the word is, is moderation yeah. of therapy. I do, a, I do a whole rant on, on gratitude. So okay. I think gratitude has a place again, just like manifestation, just, just, you know, like I, all this stuff has a place, but gratitude alone is not a fix for depression and anxiety. Here's why. If you ever try to ask a person who is clinically depressed what they are grateful for, smack you. <laughs> nothing. Right. Everything yeah. is horrible. They are grateful for nothing. They are a burden to society. This is what they're thinking, not that they are. Right. Um, right. Nothing works in their favor. They are selfish. They are worthless. It's hopeless. And you're asking them what they're grateful for? Not only does that then make them feel even worse because they can't come up with anything, but it like reinforces to them that they're not grateful for anything. It's really dangerous to use that for depression and anxiety. However, if it's something that you use as a daily practice, like mindfulness, right? Like Hmm. every day you write down three things that you're grateful for. I think that can be super helpful because it helps you stay in line with your goals because you'll notice that the things that you're grateful for are in line with your goals and your values. So it, it's yeah. just like manifestation. It helps keep you in that, in that, that zone of values, of value-driven behavior. But trying to use gratitude as a treatment for anxiety and depression is not going to work at all. And it's actually a really dangerous practice. But I do think it's super helpful as a tool, as a, as a vehicle to help keep you in line with value-driven behaviors. Absolutely. 
I love that so much. I'm not, I, I can't, I, we have to end it there because it's so perfect. <laughs> exactly. It. It's like the perfect full circle way to end it. Dr. Z, thank you so much for being here. Oh, this was Tell so fun. our listeners where they can find more about you, learn more, get your book, books, everything. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Instagram, Dr. Z psychologist. I post a ton of stuff about all of this anxiety, depression, goals, narcissistic abuse. Um, my books, find your calm and find good habits are on Amazon, um, target Barnes and Noble. My website's drjamiezuckerman.com. And I am hopefully in the next, I would say month or two relaunching a brand new podcast. So I will keep everybody, um, up to date on that. Cause I know people have been asking me for a while now where it is, but it is coming back new and improved. And, um, yeah, so that's where you can find me and thank you for having me. And I'm sorry. I, I sound like this, but sound amazing. Um, <laughs> this was so awesome. Thank you Post so much. Cold. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the business of wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.